Hi everyone, welcome to our first episode of Talk About Ideas. I'm your host, Noor Abuakub, Head of Content at Talk About. Also with us, we have Tanya Gojo, who is our culture contributor. Hi, everybody. And we have Amalia Albu, who is our law and business contributor. Hello. And finally, we have Vinanda Madani, who is our founder and director. Hey, guys. Glad to have you joining us today. This is Talk About Ideas. Today's episode is going to be and the fake news pandemic that is occurring. And to start off, this conversation we have to talk about Donald Trump and his views on how to cure it so what do you guys think I didn't actually watch it last but I remember being on Twitter and I saw everyone talking about bleach and people kept on saying guys don't inject yourself with bleach and I was wondering why is why does anyone have to say this and then I thought no it's got to be a troll and then I saw Biden, who's also running to be president, um, he tweeted saying, I can't believe I have to say this, but please don't inject bleach into your, into your body, something like that. And I thought the world has gone mad. And next thing I know, it's because of Trump's earlier comments. I've watched the actual video and in a little corner, you can see the, um, one of the directors who's on his team, one of the doctors, and she is have had the look on her face when he talks about injecting bleach it's unbelievable was it just shock it was it was pure shock because she couldn't she couldn't stop him because he was live it makes you think who why what's the point of the advisors you know definitely because if they're letting things like that slip through the cracks it's just like who can actually be in charge of donald trump because at this point he can't be in charge of what he's tweeting because obviously it's so problematic to the point where people are actually being seen drinking bleach at like rallies and stuff it's i don't even know it's like it's honestly so dramatic like obviously we're talking about coronavirus but it's been to do with other things as well but now especially something so sensitive like this that's so open to being the amount of influence that they actually have so like you're saying the advisors need to do a better job on that point um you know it's very easy to be like oh what are his advisors doing but at the same time you to what extent can they actually control what he ends up saying at the end of the day because for example say if you're in a briefing and you're like oh okay this has come up this has come up these are the medical updates blah 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 between the briefing and traveling there, there's so many different conversations that happen. And by virtue of his role as president, he kind of has that authority to be able to say what he wants to say. And essentially, as his advisors or as people, you just have to hope that it's something worthwhile, because obviously, you've elected that person, trusted representative. So to what extent do we start policing? Um, what our representatives say. I think that's the biggest question. How do you manage and control what an individual in the highest office can contribute and say when you have advisors and people who um, who actually, that is their job to advise you on? You know, you mentioned how do you police it, but that leads to the question of who polices it. So if a president or prime minister is the highest authority in a state, who then has the power to say, you can't say that? because that's not who you essentially elected. And it kind of reminds me of this whole um, argument that we have in the news sometimes of Dominic Cummings. And um, people always say, you know, we don't know whether it's Donald Trump calling the shots or special advisors, that kind of narrative. Definitely. 
I was reading this BBC article about there's sort of seven types of people who are the perpetrators of fake news. And underneath that, I think like celebrities or like influential people them. And it's a thing by where as, as much as he has advisors that should be policing what he's saying, he himself has a responsibility as the president of the United States and a person who has so much power within the world as a whole to be policing what he's saying by himself. Obviously, they have conversations and certain things will slip through the cracks, but it comes a point where, like, how old is he even? He's like 60, 60 odd or something? I thought he was 70 something, I'm sure. Is he? I thought he was in the 70s. Oh, see, that's even worse. It's a thing of, you get to a point where you can't have people holding your hand all the time and you need to start policing yourselves. And even though it might be a thing of, oh, but he's the United, he's president of the United States, so he's got people there to do that for him. It comes a time where even though you have people all around you to help you with everyday certain things, you, we're all in charge of what we say at the end of the day because his advisors can tell him something, but ultimately he's the one who makes the final decisions. It is a democracy, but when I feel like he is the only person that is in charge of what he has to say and in charge of what he's thinking. So I think it's a thing that's wrong with his, maybe his own thought process that needs to be helped or he just needs to reevaluate it at this point. Amalia, what do you think? A massive debate on who should or shouldn't voice their opinion because you've got people saying, yeah, the president should, but you've also got people saying, well, well, should celebrities and should elites and should all those different people comment on anything like that? Um, I think because he was dem democratically elected, he has a certain power. But at the same time, there are some controls of his power. So we've seen a massive social media reaction after his declaration, meaning that, you know, there's still people that actually judge what he's saying in the sense that it's not always right. And it, I don't know if you've seen his response to the social media reaction. He ended up saying that his declaration was actually a sort of a game slash challenge to um, challenge the media. But then, you know, that brings the question of should people in high positions of responsibility responsibility be trolling so often enough what's said is like oh you know everybody's a person if for example if Noah was to tweet she wouldn't she should be able to tweet what she wants because that's her platform is there a certain point where it's no longer just a case of you know these are just your thoughts you can tweet what you want to say but you are also influencing people and should now therefore um, exercise certain limits. You guys have brought us to an important debate point where it's like, where does the balance of freedom of speech come in? So what do you guys think? I think that just like what you guys are saying, it's really funny considering like recently what's been going on. So like going a bit off topic, but like you wanna like on Twitter, there's been recent tweets that have resurfaced from 2012, 2013 of all these um, UK influencers that were like making coloristic statements or even racist statements on the timeline. And it's resurfaced because somebody has gone back in time to dig those up. And that's a prime example of how when you have a platform, you really need to be careful about what you're putting out there because these people have over 100,000 people. Some people even have millions of people following them, watching their lives on a daily, watching what they put out. But it's a thing of, what you put out then has to be heavily policed and you sometimes you don't have a team so you have to do that yourself because 
that they were saying now it's come out and it's hurt so many different people when in reality back then they were kids themselves and we all make mistakes but it's a thing of like linking to the thing of freedom of speech even though we all have freedom of speech because it's a basic fundamental human right we still need to be careful of what we say because as much as you have freedom of speech we all have a duty to respect each other and that's just the flat line that i think needs to be abided by absolutely i completely agree seen with um, the pandemic is for example twitter they have basically widened uh, their regulations so the definition of harm um, include content that goes directly against guidance from the government on uh, lockdown and um, restrictions and public health information so they are now allowed to remove tweets that contain disinformation about covid-19 which i think is a good it's a good thing to do but at the same time, the question arises of who, who can actually check what sort of information is real and what information is fake. That's really interesting because I was reading somewhere and it said that in Germany, actually, they really police social media in terms of if anything is harmful or if anything is contrary, like, like what you said with the lockdown stuff, that things are taken down, especially if it's fake news. And I think what we've seen is on the different social media platforms in different countries there's so many different approaches that are being taken and as a result of it we have different measures for different people for example we've seen it in many instances where you've got um different people for example casey hopkins who'll say something that's particularly problematic and they'll be suspended for a short amount of time whereas somebody um who says something not necessarily as problematic can be suspended very quickly and sometimes won't get their account back. So I think it kind of brings us to an interesting point where when it comes to policing what people say on different platforms, where do we strike the balance between, okay, these are influential people, they're saying something that, you know, often they're bringing a lot of people to the platform, which is good for business if you are a platform like Twitter or Instagram or whatever. These influencers bring people to the platform they bring money, they bring advertising revenue, that kind of thing. However, in the same instance, if they were to say something bad and get taken off, sometimes these figures are the only reason that some people actually use these apps. So if you are the CEO of Twitter or um, Facebook, how do you balance wanting to make money and grow your platform to as big as it can get and also trying to get rid of people who are sometimes problematic? Because it's not necessarily particularly financially beneficial to you. Have you noticed how you guys have centred your discussions around social media? While there's a lot of debates talking about how, well, maybe the free press should be doing more, maybe they're not putting themselves out there as much as social media platforms are and the people speaking on those social media platforms. So there's much higher accountability on the free press doing better than they already are. So what do you guys think about that? Personally, for me, I think it's a thing by where Obviously, we're in the age of social media, and it's a thing that if those free media platforms aren't getting as much traction on their usual, by their usual means of communication, they need to now use social media more and become more active on those platforms like Twitter or like um, just the internet in general. Because, for example, we are on Instagram or Twitter day in, day out, every single day. If they now start advertising on those platforms and really use them to their advantage, they will get more even young people involved which is sort of what we're trying to do because 
you now bring it to them they have no choice but to look at it some people may choose to ignore it some people may choose to like click on the ads and be like oh what's this about but i think especially in the time that we're in of such uncertainty when information is presented to people they will give it at least one glance over some people that's enough to get them hooked some people they'll still choose to deny it but it's a thing by where you're getting more eyes around your work so if they start using those mainstream media platforms like twitter that seems to be the hub of all fake news then I feel like more people will be able to tune into the real factual news that they do have to offer that's actually going to help people instead of sending people into a crazy frenzy like all of these people on, for example, say WhatsApp. We all have those aunties or those family members that love spreading fake news. <laughs> Somebody sent me on WhatsApp, someone sent me a 32-page PDF um, about coronavirus and I was like <laughs> why do you have this into I didn't even know that I didn't even know WhatsApp had the capabilities to transfer big documents like that I was you know when you're like I'm so confused but equally so impressed <laughs> I didn't click it but you know it was just something that I didn't I think coronavirus has really exposed us to how quickly information can spread and nine times out of ten you're not sure where that information started well here's food for thought because ghana and many african countries actually have the lowest percentage of reporting suspected disinformation so it makes you think what are they doing different that maybe the western world isn't taking on board that's a really really interesting point because i was going to say as well in the western world we've got a lot more access to information it's, been, it's now more easier than ever to be able to access things. And I recently read how people actually have a desire to want to learn more and to want to read more. And because of that, especially with coronavirus, you want to be as informed as you can, which makes it so much easier for you to become more susceptible to um, news that's incorrect. Whereas in other countries that are um, still on their way to developing and not everybody necessarily has access to um, the privileges that we do over here, like, um, you know, being able to access social media, the news, our phones, tablets, laptops, all of that stuff. They hear things as it passes through people, word of mouth, and it's so much harder to pass through 32-page documents with some problematic statements when it's literally just like word of mouth and conversations. It sometimes becomes um, more straight to the point. Absolutely. You've got the document that you were talking about. Where did that come from? Who started it? It could have it could have just simply been someone decided to type it up, share it to 10 of their friends, the 10 friends share it to another 10 and so on. And then it gets to so many people. And because it, specifically because it's WhatsApp, the messages are encrypted. So you can't really they can't really do much about it in the sense that they can't check the document to see if it's valid to make sure the information on coronavirus is accurate. So how can we how can we regulate this? How can we control this? It's kind of, I think that really emphasizes the need for checks and balances. For example, you know, similar to what we have with the judiciary, where even if like the prime minister executive says, says something, we still have the courts, we still have parliament, and the importance of having someone to hold you accountable and saying, hold on a second, what do you mean by that prime minister? Or hold on a second, is that even legal? Should we actually be doing that? It's so, so important, especially in times like the pandemic. I think that's something that we've really learned to appreciate. This is Talk About Ideas. I 
as you guys have noticed, stop and search powers have been loosened a bit um, because of the whole pandemic and people leaving their houses, even though we're in lockdown. So do you think the same should be applied where the government exercises a little more control over the press or over what is emitted by the citizens to social media? Or do you think that's just an impediment on freedom of speech? As soon as you said that, I was just thinking of the way some people would take it. And, you know, there's always those members of our society that whenever something is enforced, there's people that will take it well and there's people that will take it to the extreme. Now, with the thing about them impeding on our freedom of speech, so to speak, when you start policing certain things, certain people will now look at the bigger picture and think, OK, this is just a slippery slope down into you can only post at these certain times or you can only post about this, that, the third. And some people say before, you know, we have martial law in place. And I think, like you said, that Twitter has now um, stopped certain fake news being spread about the way to deal with the coronavirus and certain things like that. If that happens now on all platforms, but with more style, I think a lot of people will sort of rebel against it and see that as an aim to control people even more. So I don't think that will be taken necessarily that well. The stop and search thing, though, I feel like it does make sense because of the need to not be in contact with so many people. But at the same time, it is sort of in a way stifling our freedom of speech because then it begs the question, if I can't say certain things and it's my it's my own point of view, where does the line end? Because today it's just about not drinking bleach or the pandemic, to use an extreme example. But then tomorrow it's that I can't tweet, I love my mum or something like that. Like, I don't know. It might seem very extreme, but often things start in very small scale, very small cases and they just get bigger and bigger. So I think another thing that differentiates the two worlds is that over here we've got uh, independent third parties that check the information and decide whether it's accurate or not. So we've got, it's not the government, but it's not us, it's a separate body. Whereas um, in in countries such as Egypt or Uzbekistan, it's the government that decides whether the information is fake or not. And it's the government that decides if you're going to jail, if you're going to get a fine. So it's not it's not a, such an independent body, but it's it's the government. Absolutely. For example, in Ecuador, fake news spread, not even just in Ecuador, but globally, that people were burning bodies, but in fact, they were just burning tires and couches. And even presidents and prime ministers across the globe believed that. So, you know, it just, it's devil's advocate. At the same time, these are unprecedented times and people, because they're so panicked, they're much more to fake news. So they're more likely to believe stuff that in nor in so-called normal times they wouldn't necessarily believe so some sort of regulation i believe is is needed to stop this from happening do you know what this just reminded me of do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we started seeing different countries initiating lockdown and then someone said um in russia they not only have put the country in lockdown but they've released tigers and lions oh my goodness i saw that and like i was like oh my gosh and, you know, me, I'm, I'm in this habit of if I see something that I find particularly wayward or, like, really interesting, I don't just, like, retweet it. I click into the tweet and I like to read the comments or, like, kind of see where they got their information from. And then once I clicked into that tweet with Twitter, I saw someone saying, actually, this picture's edited or it's from a movie or it was just, it wasn't even real. And as soon as I saw that, 
I began to notice so many people started sharing that picture without actually asking themselves, is this real? Is this actually something that's likely to happen? But because of all of these connotations that people may have about Russia, they automatically believed it. And it was, I think what was even more interesting was seeing Putin actually come on TV and be like, I have not put tigers in the streets. <laughs> um, literally. And, you know, I, it made me think we live in such an interesting world where one person can literally make something, put it out on the internet, and it can go viral so much faster than perhaps sometimes a newspaper can get it. It's so funny you said that, Vananda, like, back to that. I recently made, like, a video about, like, the conspiracy theories that certain people have. So I I went around asking people on my Snapchat, like, oh, what do you think, or what are your conspiracy theories surrounding the coronavirus? And some of the responses I got back were literal dissertations, like people sending me paragraphs of their detailed accounts of what exactly happened. And we all live in the West Midlands, so I'm very confused as to where they get the information from. But I remember one of them, one of them was like, okay, so it all started in, like, they really knew what they were talking about. It all started in Wuhan and there was a spill, like they were, first of all, they were only trying to kill certain members of the population that weren't contributing to anything, but there was a spill and it leaked and people started leaving China and it went globally. And they were just, you know, weaving this story that if I didn't know, if I wasn't educated, I would think, wow, like this actually was the truth. But just like you're saying, it just shows how one person can come up with such an elaborate story that seems to have all the links. And all it takes is a couple gullible people of which I'm not trying to bash anybody because in this time, really, we all are gullible because we're just trying to find out the truth. It's sort of like a game of Chinese whispers, if you get what I mean, where one person starts off by saying something and then another person adds their own twist, another person adds their own twist. And a moral panic is created where everyone thinks something different, but it's all just stemming from this one person who was bored in the bedroom and decided to make up a completely fake story and now we're believing it to be true and for me it just blows my mind you know we just love stories whether it's a good story or a bad story something that gets emotionally invested it's the same reason why people love the avengers it's exciting it's like oh my gosh i never thought that would happen and that's similar to some of these stories that you start reading i think you read it more for the fact that you can't believe it's true but you have to keep reading it and i think that all of these conspiracy theories or the fake news it latches onto our human intrinsic need for excitement and entertainment in a way that sometimes we don't even notice it. It's unbelievable. People want to believe something so much that they end up taking it seriously. It's very true because at the end of the day, if we're not educated ourselves, especially seeing as we have this platform talk about and it's growing every day, if we now put things out there without fact, without fact checking them, it's going to reach somebody who they're just going to take it to be true and run with it. So it's like you're saying, it's very important that we educate ourselves before we do any educating of anybody else. So, yeah. And I think even, for example, with our discussion, especially for those of you like listening to at home, you can see how, you know, we at first someone thought Donald Trump was 62. I was like, nah, it's got to be 70. But when our producer fact-checked it, it's actually 73. And I think that's how you have to approach when you're listening to people, listening to discussions, always take it as discussions should motivate you to want to learn more, to discover more and to go out and double check things for yourself, form your own opinions, not based on, you know, what your colleagues are saying, but your own understanding of those things, because that way we develop as well. 
Definitely. And I was just going to say, just a final point from me, linking to that, it's a thing of, like, just in general, whenever you seek advice, it should be a thing of, have your mind made up about what you want to do or what you, you know, what you think. But when you're seeking advice, ultimately you're seeking to get information that you don't have. But it's a thing by where, when you're seeking advice, take it with a pinch of salt and just, we should always have in the back of our minds that this is coming from a person that as human beings, we are inherently biased, as you said. And it's a thing of, I have things that influence me, which is why I think the way I do, similar to all of you guys. So whenever I'm seeking advice, it's important to, whatever you say, I know that, okay, she has her own personal experiences shaping her, but there might be some truth in what she said. So it's just a thing of taking everything you get with a pinch of salt, you know, by all means, taking everything you can because we have the means and the ways to do so. But ultimately, when you have all your information, gather it together, rally it with your own thoughts, and then come up with uh, come up with a final answer. But you need to do so judiciously and looking at all the different information sources you've got. Like you're saying, question which ones are credible, question which ones aren't so trustworthy, and then come up with a final judgment. But just taking one person's word and running with it, that should never be your way forward. Yeah, I think we should always um, check our sources and question everything that we read, because even the most famous and factual news they still they are still biased so everything that we read is biased and i think that we should question everything that we read because a lot of news sources they are very biased even though they may not seem so so i think we should always check the reliability and question everything that that we see on the news i think maybe to wrap up food for thought um as much as we talk about regulating social media, regulating what our leaders say, we must also invest a lot into our, how much we put into ourselves to educate ourselves and how much we put into programs that will help those maybe a little less disadvantaged to gain a better insight into what is and isn't true. Do you know, it reminds me of a quote that um, my dad always says, you know, advice is that is given, but it's not forced. So, you know, especially when it's like information, it's there for you to take, but a very, very important step within that um, process of processing information is it's okay to discard some stuff. And I feel like a lot of people don't like to discard things that they learn or read because it feels like you're losing out. But sometimes you're better off when you read something, you think, okay, that's not useful. I'm going to let that go. And that's okay. Absolutely. So I think the most important lesson as we carry on through this pandemic is open-mindedness. Thank you guys so much for this discussion. It was really insightful and enjoyable and I'm really happy to have had you on this episode of Talk About Ideas. Thank you. And if you want to keep up with any future episodes, feel free to keep up with our social media at Talk About UK. So thank you for having us, Noor. Thank you, guys. Talk about ideas.